it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Uh, Kieran, technically this is a day after the last pod, but in fact it's 30 seconds afterwards, but I'm still guessing you may have managed to squeeze in some media duties <laughs> in the meantime. <laughs> um, this is one of our interview pods, Kieran. Um, unfortunately, you couldn't make it, which is a shame. Yes, I've got it, absolutely got it. Well, also, it was a great interview, but not only that, but (laughs) he started using some financial terms, which I I couldn't reach my phone to Google them. So I was thinking, oh, my God, the one time that Kieran's not here. Um, It's an interview with Mark Ashton, who's the chief executive of Ipswich Town, who I think must be quite difficult to work for, inspiring to work for, but quite difficult because he's a force of nature. But I learnt more about the inner workings of a football club in this interview than I have done in quite a long time. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Um, It's a real pleasure to talk to you. Just to get last season out of the way, have you known anything like that League One title race last season? I mean, for, for those of us watching it, it was fantastic. For the three clubs in it, it must have been heart attack territory, wasn't it? I think painful is probably the word. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've, listen, I've been in this industry a very, very long time. Um, and there was a point where I thought 98 points and 101 goals wasn't <laughs> going to be enough. You know, four losses, 14 draws, 28 uh, wins. Um, yeah, the, the form that we showed in the last 15 games was incredible. Um, but also the form um, that, that the other clubs did uh, over that period was just it was just in, in, incredible. You know, we come out, come in after games and Plymouth have won again. Sheffield Wednesday have won again. Um, and it was only up until probably the fourth or fifth game that, that, that Barnsley wasn't in that mix. So, yeah, painful is probably, is probably the right yeah. word, guys. Uh, was, was there a time, I mean, it would have been a travesty if either one of the three hadn't gone up, but was there a time when you thought, oh no, it's plan B, it's playoffs? I think you have to have that in the back of your mind, but we were really clear that we believed um, if we played to our potential, if we focused on us, we, we were good enough to get into the top two. And I think the minute you start letting your mind slip into the playoffs, you know, you enter the territory of self-fulfilling prophecies. You will you will drop into the playoffs. So we mm. kept mentally strong, um, and and it was it was enough to get us across the line in the end. 
Before we talk more about Ipswich, Mark, and football finance, in particular in the, the championship, the league that Kieran calls the basket case, tell us just a little bit about your background in the game. The East Anglian Times, I know it's referred to you as a man of action, dynamic, relentless. Are you happy with that? <laughs> um, I've been in this industry a long time. Um, 51 years of age, um, former player, not a particularly good one, uh, and I've spent a lifetime working in different clubs, in different positions, and the last 20-plus years as that as a CEO and director. Mm. Um, for me, to be successful in this industry and in this role, it has to be a way of life. Uh, it can't just be a job. There are no days off. It's early mornings, late nights. It's Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, and I'm certainly not complaining about that because I feel very privileged to to do the job that I do. But for us to to stand out, one of the things that is key is hard work. And what we what I find is what other people's interpretation of hard work is, and what mine is, can be very different. So I think yeah, I think relentless is is a really good um, explanation. Um, some would say I'm obsessed. Uh, I make no apologies for that. Um, but I think if you look at the clubs I tend to go into and when I go into them, they're turnaround projects. They're in some form of crisis at that point. Uh, Ipswich was certainly in, in crisis for sure. Uh, and for me, it's, it is, it, it's a way of life and a, and a total obsession. You know the championship very well, Mark. Tell us a little about your previous experience here and, and what you make of a league that is so challenging in both football and financial terms. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time in, in, in the Championship, been promoted out of it a number of occasions to the Premier League. Um, I've also sat on the EFL board as a Championship director for three years during COVID, which was both challenging and probably the best educational experience I've had in my career. Seeing football from the inside and how clubs really work right across the spectrum was a great opportunity and something I was very privileged to, to do in that time. The problem with the championship is really simple. Um, it's emotion. You're in a division that is one step away from the golden ticket. It's one step away from the Premier League where everybody wants to be. And it's one step away from that huge financial gain of getting across the line and into the Premier League. And what happens is you have a plan. Um, and a lot of clubs don't stick to the plan in the championship because they start to get close towards either the playoffs or automatic promotion. And then the model changes because they overstretch and overreach. And I can understand that. And, it, you know, I've been guilty of that at times in the past. But you've got to stick to your plan. Um, that obsession with trying to uh, get to the Premier League causes logical sensible people who've made a lot of money in their own businesses in their own right to make emotionally led decisions which can be very dangerous it's a tough place it's a tough place to be it's how do you handle the expectations of fans mark in a division where the average losses are 470,000 pound a week because your job is to sustain the club in the future isn't it rather than you you need to get into the Premier League hopefully but you need a, a club that is financially sustainable but also you've got fans who are going right it's taken us a long time to get here let's spend the money to move on yeah you, you put that really well um, which is the challenge of the championship you, you're absolutely right I think the majority of clubs in the championship are losing circa 10 million a year um, which is never a good place to be 
but it's a fairly standard number across the board. Um, and it's a number that will be familiar to us because it's, it, it's, that's circa the number that we're in and around at the moment. Um, the, look, the only way you deal with that number, really affect that number, is A, to, gr- to grow the business and drive revenue. Um, B, part of that driving revenue is to play a trade uh, and make profit on player sales. And C, to reduce player salaries, because those are the three numbers that really affect your business. You cut player salaries against the market value, if you like, at your peril, because you've seen clubs do that. You've seen this club do that. And then you're on a downward spiral because you, you know, you you very easily slip through the trap drawer into League One. Uh, And Ipswich will tell you how difficult that was for us to get out of that division. The only other way that you move to a more financially viable model is to have a new agreement with the Premier League where the revenue gap from a broadcast and a central funding perspective, the line is smoothed, if you like, between the two divisions as a a smaller step. Um, But even if you get that away, if you get that deal away, um, it doesn't work unless you bookend that with new salary management protocols because if you don't you'll get more money from the Premier League more money from broadcast that will simply slide through to to players inflate salaries further and the problem actually becomes bigger than it currently is so those if you like are the are the key the key pieces that really move the dial financially um, and none of them are, uh, are easy to answer I'll come on to your transfer policy uh, later Mark in the meantime, this is the part of the show. You, you've mentioned the gap between the, those two divisions. Kieran would 100% be asking you know, about parachute payments, his current obsession. Will, you, will your view on parachute payments change once you're in the Premier League? Well, look, I think if you're, if you're outside probably six or seven clubs in the Premier League, you're only ever two poor transfer windows away from being relegated. Yeah. You know, at the start of the season, would any of us really have thought that Leicester would have been relegated? I certainly wouldn't have. Yeah. Um, with the money that Leeds had spent, I wouldn't have seen them being relegated. Would we have seen Everton be in a relegation battle? I'm not sure I would have seen that for another season running. So they're very close to that trap door opening at any one point, unless you're one of the Galacticas. But in, but in saying that, you've seen Chelsea have a, an indifference. Yeah. So, so I think even if we were in the Premier League, I would certainly be saying, look, we need to smooth the line between the Premier League and the Championship. Why, you know, this wonderful game that we're all so fortunate to work in and has been has been around a lot longer than we have and will be here hopefully when we're all gone. And I think we have all have a responsibility to leave the game in a better place than we found it. And... You know, we look at, you know, I've got US owners, so we understand US sport really well. The uniqueness for me is the family of football, is the pyramid. And I think we have to protect that pyramid. Um, you know, I sat on the league board when clubs went out of business um, and I saw the challenges that that had brought and how that had affected local communities and people's lives. So I think that making sure that the pyramid of football is protected not just from you know a revenue perspective, but also from a, a cost control perspective is really, really important. And I know the league are focused on on, on looking at that. It's not uh, an easy problem to solve, 
But I do think we all have a responsibility to look after the long-term future of the game. You mentioned your US owners, Mark, and uh, to outsiders like us, they seem like good owners. They seem like nice people. We've met a couple of them, spoke to them. Um, but how does it affect your financial situation when long-term you, your owners are going to be looking for a return on their investment, presumably? Yeah, I think, look, I think anybody who comes into football in some way, shape or form would like to see a return on on their investment. I think, firstly, I think we, we're really fortunate here because um, they're very bright people um, who have come into football and where, for me, they've been different to most is they understood, they understand business, they understand sport, but when they entered this, it's a new business to them. So rather than try and run this business themselves, they appointed myself and a management team to write a business plan and then deliver against that business plan. And where I'm so fortunate is they give me the oxygen to deliver the plan. Mm. They don't actively get involved in the selection of a manager or player recruitment, etc. They let us write the plan. They sign the plan off. They sign the money off that needs to be put into the business to deliver that plan. And then they challenge against key performance indicators on the way through. They're, they're, they're fantastic. And I think where where we as an industry have seen challenges at times is, I say this very simply, I've been doing this a long time. And let's be really clear, um, I learn every single day. 30 to 40 years I've been in this industry, you don't stop learning. Mm. If I jumped into an airplane tomorrow uh, and tried to fly that plane, the one thing I can promise you I'm going to do, I'm going to crash it <laughs> because I haven't got the expertise to fly it. Yeah, But yet people come from outside of uh, football into our industry, emotionally led at times, and then wonder why they can't straight away run the football clubs because these are very unique organisations. And we've seen that happen time and time again. So I'm, I'm really fortunate to have really smart owners who back the management team, challenge the management team, support the management team, but don't interfere with the nuances of the running of the business. And I think that's a, a real advantage for us because if you look at this football club compared with a lot of football clubs in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the pyramid at the moment, we have stability. We're not going to chop and change our manager every five minutes. We're going to grow. We have a plan to move forward and we'll stick to the plan. There, there is no erratic decision-making. Um, it's calm. It's considered it's focused and, and it's progressive. So we're really, really fortunate with regards to that. Where we're also fortunate is the money that comes into the football club is platinum plated. Um, you know, in a period where some people are questioning where money is coming from into football clubs, we are so fortunate to have a financial institution, uh, a US pension fund that backs the football club. Um, and it's, it's important that you understand you know, organisations like PSPRS, who are our ultimate um, benefactors, um, hold these investments for different reasons. Some for cash flow, some uh, are used for, for other requirements within their overall portfolio, and others evaluation-led and used to grow the overall worth of their portfolio. And if you look at, I can't give you the detail, what they bought this football club for, the money that we're investing the value of the football club has already increased substantially in moving to the championship and would, it would substantially improve again if we get to the Premier League. 
That's the reason why they're buying into value and a long-term investment. There's only 92 clubs in the Football League. If run properly, these are strong fundamental investments. Um, and the opportunity there is to grow value. Um, and they understand that. And they're in this for the long the long term. They, I cannot speak highly enough of, of my owners and the way they work. They're, they're first class. You mentioned your manager. Presumably, uh, I mean, he's done such a great job. Presumably, half of your summer has been spent ring fencing him, hasn't it, and fending off other clubs with big sticks. We, yeah, I think. I think. Look again. At, at times, I get criticised for for my my managerial appointments. If you look at my career, A.D. Boothroyd at Watford, first time manager, promoted yeah. to the Premier League. A.D. replaced by a young coach out of Chelsea called Brendan Rodgers. Yeah. Um, Sean Dyche, Malkin Mackay at Watford in the coaching setup at that point. Um, Michael Appleton at Oxford, Lee Johnson at Bristol, Kieran McKenna at Ipswich Town. Yeah. Their DNA is very, very similar. It fits our model and the way we want to build the football club. So when we brought Kieran in, uh, you know, Ipswich is a big football club. It's got two former England managers yeah. in history. It's a lot of pressure. Um, and I wanted someone who I thought would breathe fresh air, fresh life into the football club and wouldn't just be a steady pair of hands. I wanted someone who was more than that. And I think since Kieran's walked in the door, he's done nothing but surprise and delight, um, hardworking, professional, outstanding values, and has worked already with some of the biggest names in the industry at Tottenham yeah. United. Yeah. So we, we talked, Kieran and I talked at the, right at the end of the season about a new contract he wanted to make sure that our values and our vision for the club was still aligned and we hadn't changed, which we hadn't. Um, and probably within a couple of days at the end of the season, the two of us had a handshake on his new deal. That takes three or four weeks to paper, holidays, etc. cetera. Um, and you, you will have read the press. He was very uh, highly regarded by other clubs in the industry. So yeah. to lock him down for another four years, I think it's perfect timing for us. Back to the finances, Mark. We did a live show at Plymouth a couple of weeks ago, and there were there were fans of many championship teams there. There seems to be an assumption from those fans that you will be one of the better off teams in the championship financially. A is that fair, and B does that bring extra pressure? I think our, our owners are certainly one of the more wealthy uh, backers in the championship. That's for sure, but it, it almost becomes irrelevant because. Like all of the other football clubs, we govern now by PNS. Yeah, that means we've moved from SCMP protocols in League One to PNS protocols in the Championship, um, which means we are limited to what we can spend. Yeah. Um, I think what probably helps us more is that you know we will have average attendances of thirty thousand. Yeah, got big retail numbers. Uh, I follow numbers are the biggest in the whole EFL, wow. including the championship. And that was in League One, by the way. Wow. Um, so that revenue sits against our PNS. So that gives us some more firepower. Um, we go back then to the player trading line. The, the player trading line is the other income generator that gives you the ability to spend more. Where again, I'm really fortunate. To answer your question is I'm not under I'm never under any pressure on a cash basis from my owners to sell players. They want to build something. 
Uh, they want to build value in the team, value in the club, value in the squad. And I think if you look at our squad valuation that we, we, we tend to run internally all the time, our players were worth X when we joined the club. They're worth Y now. And that's why we've recruited young, hungry talent, Leif Davies from Leeds, Harry Clark from Arsenal, Nathan Broadhead from Everton, all in that early 20s bracket who will grow with us on the pitch, but will bring financial value if and when we want to trade them. So that all comes into the overall discussion with the owners who will stand behind us. Um, look, we will be, we'll, we'll be behind the parachute payment clubs for sure because they will have big financial fair play headroom and they'll have big cash bases uh, and they'll have Premier League squads. And I think what you've seen come down, you haven't seen three championship clubs down. You've seen three established Premier League clubs come down this season. Yeah, um, That's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. It'll be exciting. I mean, talking of your squad, transfer-wise, in the past couple of seasons, you've been at net zero, which takes some doing. Was that always going to be the plan? It wasn't the detailed plan. It was always a direction of travel. Um, oh. And it's, it's interesting because people always focus on um, what you spend <laughs> and what yeah. players you're bringing in. But what we've done quietly behind the scenes is we've moved on players. Um, and, you know, if you look the likes of we, we sold Flynn Downs um, to Swansea um, and we get paid well for that deal. But there are, in, there are then contingencies if he moves again and he moved again yeah. to West Ham. So if you like, we fed twice on that deal because we'd constructed it in that way to future proof us. And um, there are two elements to this. When we, we sign players, I like to run the business on a cash basis. So we know where the cash is all the time, but we have to run the profit and loss now, the P and L here, because that's what we measured on from a financial fair play perspective. And you're absolutely right. And you said, if you, if you look at the first, I think three years, um, financial years, the cash in and cash out on player trading um, is literally zero. Um, and again, you know, it's important that we keep our housekeeping, we keep tidying up behind us, we bring little bits of income in and those bits of income grow and grow and grow. Um, so yeah, so we've done well um, in relation to that. Um, but again, what's really good here is no pressure, no pressure from the owners to sell players. They want to see the club progress. Well, we were really hoping Flynn Downs would come to Palace instead of West Ham. He's a player, and he? he's going to be very good. Um, you've yeah, laid, yes, yes, yes. You, you've laid a new pitch, and you've invested in other infrastructure as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, the the pitch at Portman. There's never been a modern pitch at Portman Road. Right. Um, I was slightly nervous on what we were going to find when we uh, we took it up and dug down. Um, <laughs> but what that meant was. Um, no matter how much we spent on the pitch, you know, additional artificial lighting, fertilizer, feed each year, the pitch just wasn't good enough. And when you get to November, December, it would start to deteriorate. Um, that meant that we couldn't play any of our women's games on it. We struggled to even get the FA Youth Cup on it. Uh-huh. And what it definitely meant was at the end of each season, we certainly couldn't put concerts or other events on the pitch which when you consider our major sponsors a certain Ed Sheeran, yeah. it might be, might, might be a nice to have. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we've invested heavily. We've invested over £2 million on, on infrastructure projects on the pitch, um, which will give Kieran the tools to do his job. We've put three new pitches in at the training ground. We're invested in big screens, LED boards, 
Um, we are exiting the EFL iFollow platform and investing in Town TV, TV studios being built. We think we can genuinely grow revenue through the football club for all of this, which one helps for the financial losses, but two helps from the financial fair play perspective. And, you know, when we, if you look back at this football club, the first year we were here, they would sell on average ten to 12,000 shirts a year, yeah. turn over about a million pound a year in retail. The second year, we managed to get that up to circa 20,000. Yeah. Last year, we sold over 50,000 shirts and revenue exceeded 4 million. Yeah. That's just in retail. Yeah. Ticketing, we didn't even get to the end of the early bird sales. We sold 20 to 21 and a half thousand season tickets. We've capped it at that because we've got a 30,000 capacity, 2,000 of which goes to the away fans. And then obviously we need to leave enough for match day sales. So the whole football club, to say it's gone off like a rocket is probably an understatement. And our challenge is to keep that upward trajectory, um, keep it going. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. I was going to save the, the the retail records for the last the big finish because um, it's fascinating. So is it is it possible to quantify the Ed shearing effect? Could you have you have you ever sat down on the back of a beer mat and thought this is what we'd have earned without him? It's 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 it's, it's all it's, we, we we've tried to measure it on several occasions and we, we we're going down rabbit holes because it's <laughs> very, very difficult to get to that calculation. But look, when you've got a local man who also happens to be the world's biggest superstar on stage at Wembley on his opening night, 
and rocks up in Ipswich Town's new kit that you've launched <laughs> 24 hours earlier, it yeah. does help. Yeah. Um, and he asks for so little in return, it's incredible. Um, he is a local man who supports his local community and his local football club. Um, we're so proud of what he does. And, you know, again, he, he's just a great figurehead for us. And he, listen, from a finance perspective, of course it impacts. You know, when he tweets the new kit, he has a marketing reach that Chelsea and Manchester United can't get. Wow, yeah, um, of course. So it's very, very important to us and, and long may it continue. I, I know we have um, issues with time, Mark, so I don't want to take up too much of your, your morning. You, you mentioned briefly that the infrastructure expenditure is handy for FFP purposes, which is a, a different challenge in this league. I sometimes feel sorry for clubs and club owners, not very often, but sometimes because fans these days are cynical in a way that anything that a club does, spends on improving facilities – so many fans immediately say, oh, they're only doing it for FFP purposes, which is which is not the case. But it, it, it does seem fans think that way a lot of the time, doesn't it? It does. Uh, and I can understand why some would think that. Um, I think, look, we, we acquired a football club. I came in here just over 18 months ago to a football club that I underestimated the size of. Um, yeah didn't really understand the depth and size of the fan base, the history of the club. It's very, very unique. Um, you know, it's a one club, uh, one county football club. Um, you know, you go down the road one way, the first club you really hit is West Ham. Uh, and if you go the other way, there's the club that shall not be named. Um, <laughs> um, so the fan base is huge and we bought a club that had been underinvested in for over a decade, maybe even two decades. So infrastructure, investment in uh, community, marketing, data, academy, recruitment, personnel, you name it, had just been let go. So we came in with a plan that we weren't just going to spend the money um, from our backers on players. We were going to spend it across the board and we were going to invest in infrastructure. We were going to invest rebuilding our community foundation. We were going to invest in the work that we do in the community. We were going to invest in facilities. Now, some of that, what you've just said, is absolutely right. You know, if we're putting in new bars, we're putting in new fan zones, we're putting in um, uh, facilities that allow us to do concerts, we can drive revenue from that. And from a financial fair play position, that helps. However, we've spent more on... um, training ground pitches, performance, analysis, recruitment to drive performance on the pitch. And getting that balance between investing in things that you get a return on financially and get investing in things that are just simply the right thing to do is key. And I think where our fans have been fantastic is understanding that. We spent a lot of time communicating to the supporters, communicating to the key stakeholders in the area what we're doing and why we are doing it. And if I've learned anything in 30, 40 years in this industry is the quality of our communication is key. Um, And taking our supporters and our stakeholders on the journey with us is a vitally important part of what we're doing. I've got two questions for you, Mark, just to go. Um, one about the past and one about the future. You, you mentioned having to change things financially, but when I was growing up, Ipswich were a, a great side. As you say, Sir Alf Ramsey, Bobby Robson, England managers came out of there. They were successful in Europe. They won the league. 
but they were owned all that time by uh, a rather patrician, wealthy family, gentlemanly family. So I suppose when you had 50 years of an ownership model like that, it was always going to take probably two decades to change that round to become an efficient, financially modern football club, wasn't it? Yeah, um, and there's no point having money to spend in football clubs. And we've seen this in the industry. You will have seen this time and time again. It's not about the amount of money you have. It's how wisely you spend it. Mm. Um, And you have to move at pace in this industry because if you don't, your competitors will go past you at lightning speed. I say to my staff all the time, what got us here will not get us there. What got us promoted from League One last season, will not get us promoted from the Championship. We've got to be better. We've got to be more effective. We've got to be tighter. We've got to be more disciplined. We've got to be sharper. Because we are probably this season in, arguably, the the most difficult division in the world. Mm. Because uh, it's questionable. Is it more difficult staying in the Premier League or getting into the Premier League? There's not that much between it, I don't think. It's really, really difficult. So we have to move forward at pace. Um, And the problem with football clubs, people don't like change. Um, People are set in their ways. Um, You know, it's always, it's an industry which I've heard so many times, oh, well, we've always done it this way. That won't work. Um, I, you know, uh, it's an industry where people will say seeing is believing. I'm slightly odd. For me, believing is seeing. And that goes back to the point that you said earlier. Was there a point that we thought we would slip into the playoffs? We couldn't allow us to think ourselves to think yeah. like that. We genuinely had to have belief. And I think that was a key factor in getting us up. Well, let's go right back to that early point then with my question about the football, the future. You mentioned self-fulfilling prophecy. And I love that expression, what got us here will not get us here. But what do you do now? Do you look to consolidate or do you look to push on for promotion? Or is it presumptuous to make plans like that in such a difficult league? Progression. Progression is the key word. Now, what progression will look like, who knows? But if each year you, you progress, if each year you score more goals, if each year you concede less, if each year you get more points on the table, you'll ultimately get where you want to get to. Can't tell you when that that's going to be. You've been around football long enough to know there, but the width of a post or a refereeing decision and yeah. your season can go one way or another. But it's progression. We have to be more effective in our academy. We have to be more effective in our development squad, our analysis, our recruitment, our performance, our manager, our CEO, our ownership group. We all have to sit down. And what what we create is a learning environment. I've been doing this a long time. The minute I think I know it all, I'm in a world of trouble. (laughs) A world of trouble. And that's why I need people around me that um, we run a model um, where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Our manager is really, really important to us. But don't underestimate how important Andy Rolls and the performance staff is. Gary Probant, recruitment, Luke Ware and player contractual, medical, sports science, data, let alone on the business side. Everybody has a role to play because football clubs, things can change. Managers can change. We don't throw the baby out with the bathwater when that happens. I think our biggest opportunity is stability. Look at how many clubs, Championship, Premier League, changed their manager last year. Yeah. Never seen anything like it. Some change twice in a month. Yeah. Stability, calmness. We will have a bad run at some point. Law of averages will we'll say that will happen. We won't change. 
We'll stick to the plan. We'll adapt the plan, but we'll stay on the tracks. And I think, I genuinely believe that stability, that planning, that ownership that gives you calmness to get on with, with your job will be a key differentiator for us. Well, stability is great, but it's not always sexy, is it, for fans? That's the trouble. But in the long term, it makes perfect sense to me because, you know, at Palace, Steve Parrish has got a very good record of, of sensing when to get rid of a manager, yeah. and he does it frequently. But that makes it more difficult to attract top managers, I think, in the future. If they know that the owner of the club is likely to get rid of them after they lose three games in a row, why would they go to that club? So stability is good, but sometimes keeping your head while the fans around you are losing theirs is a hard job, isn't it? It, It's probably the most difficult job. And as a CEO, it's tough, but you have to ignore the noise. You've got to stay on the tracks. And that's why it's really important having a tight good quality, robust team around you because at times it's tough because, you know, fans will question, stakeholders will question, media will question. But what ne- no one never really understands is what really is going on inside the football club at that point. Mm-hmm. And if you can keep your head at that point and stay calm, that's when I think you, you, you can have a differentiator. I'm just, I'm not one that hires and fires them, never have been. Um, I, th- I think stability will be key. Keeping your head when you have the noise around you, and, you, and as a CEO, having the ability to ignore that noise and have good people around you again is key. Um, but you are in, you're in. I think, as I said, the most difficult division in the world. Yeah, <clears throat> Mark, as a Palace fan, I would love to see you in the Premier League um, as long as we're still in it. Because for me, Ipswich is one of the great away days, basically. And I still think it's a tragedy. They knocked down the Drummond Monkey, which is the best away pub. <laughs> in, in the best away. They actually have had a, a, production, a protection order like a cathedral. That was a brilliant pub, that one. Um, but I really I really would love to see Ipswich back in the, the Premier League. Any, any of us with an interest in, in football history, they are a club that deserve to be at the top table. So I wish you the very best of luck next season. And like many of us, we'll be keeping an eye on, on your results and also watching you on telly because you were a really attractive team last season. Thank you. And look, you're, you're all welcome here at Portman Road any any time. Um, maybe we get Palace in the Cup and you, and you come and see us. It'd be great to spend some time with you. I, I, I'll tell you what, we'll, if Palace aren't playing, we'll come and see you anyway because I, I, I really like Portman Road. It's been lovely to talk to you, Mark. Thank you for giving us so much of your time. Um, we look forward to seeing how you get on in the Championship. Thanks so much. Kieran, some of the insight from Mark was absolutely fascinating. He was very honest, he's very open, but I really did learn a lot about having to run a football club, especially about the, the step up into the championship. Mark's a, a man who knows the championship very well. Mm. But there are three things that struck me in particular. It's, it's one of those interviews where actually you and I could go through basically his answer to every question and discuss that for five minutes. But he talked about knowing full well that the championship is the basket case financially that we all know. Mm. He knew the figures, but he said he was absolutely determined to hold his nerve, to keep his resolve and not get tempted into spending money the club hasn't got. But at the same time, he said the club has to keep moving forward. It has to progress. It strikes me that they're, they're actually two difficult things to reconcile, aren't they? They are. But I think what we have seen over the course of the last 12 months is that that can be achieved. Mm. And the promotion of 
Luton Town, who I think have become the poster boys for every club that has recently come up from League One, is a really positive step. Um, I was on uh, I was on the Monday Night Club with Mark Chapman and uh, Gary Sweet, who was the chief executive of uh, Luton Town yeah. the, the other night, and it was quite clear. He said we weren't prepared to fall to every demand that came our way. We had a structure, we had a we had a, a, a wage uh, system, and we kept to it, and we concentrated on buying the right players and having the right atmosphere in the dressing room. And that can make up for, um, it's, not, it's not a deficiency, but you know, have the, the issue of being not able to afford some players who are perhaps more technically adept and gifted. And, and, and it's worked and they've been promoted. So I think uh, you know, as far as uh, Mark Ashton is concerned, good, good luck to him. Yeah, if, if Luton can do it, if, you know, if Luton hadn't been promoted, we would have seen uh, Coventry City promoted and they've taken a broadly yeah. similar approach as, as well. So I, I think uh, you know, th- there are sort of, I wouldn't say green, green shoots of hope appearing to that financial sanity can, can make a difference. But uh, it does show that alternatives can be successful. And uh, I think that will encourage some other clubs to say, you know, why, why are we agreeing to lose 15 or 20 yeah. million pounds a year? You know, we're not all it's caught. You know, the fan, the fans still aren't happy because the club, because you know, if if every club loses twenty million pounds in the championship, only three are still going to get promoted. So you're still going to have twenty one disappointed yeah. teams. Um, so yeah, I, I think he's 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 right to take that approach, and he's also got a responsibility to to protect the interests of the owners. Well, I'll come on to the owners uh, with my last point, Kieran. But there's there's two quick things I, I thought was fascinating because the last two seasons, their transfer. Dealings have had have been net zero essentially, mm. which which takes a lot of doing. If they can do that in the championship, that would be a great step forward. But basically, he said we identify a certain type of player, young, hungry players that we will sell for a profit, which strikes me as a policy that most clubs could could try. It it, it also fascinated me that they had worked out. I, I asked the question semi jokingly, but they had worked out. Um, how much retail sales would be without Ed Sheeran compared to with. But I thought he was particularly fascinating about the owners where he said he admitted quite freely that, yes, uh, they are financially better off than quite a few clubs already in the mm. championship. But the two things about the owners that, you know, they're, they're an investment group. So in the end, they will want to make a profit. But he said quite openly that the owner, the owners were very good owners because they left him and other people to do the football stuff. They were they were sensible enough to to know that the best way to eventually make a return on their investment was to recruit football people to do the football jobs, which I thought was very interesting. And again, you think, well, surely there are a lot of other club owners who, who should be doing the same thing. Yeah, I, I think. There are some other club owners in, in that division. You know, uh, John Beresford at, at Millwall, he let Steve Cavan yeah. and the team get on with yeah. it. And, and I think that that should be encouraged because actually it's in the owner's vested interests for that to take place as well. Because if you leave the football people to concentrate, set them a budget, set them limits, and they say, we're not going to get involved any further, if they get that club into the Premier League, that's where you get your return on your investment. You're not going to achieve that return Whilst the club's in the championship, so uh, you know, have you know, encourage a positive culture, get the club to the Premier League, and, and then we've seen clubs be sold 
um, and you're looking at the difference between your, your your purchase price and your sale price, and and hopefully the losses in between. If you've got a good team, they will be at a tolerable level, and you make an overall profit. Uh, well, thank you to Mark Ashton for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution as well, that would be very kind of you. You can do so by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. Bye. Bye. The Price of Football. Buy some football.